This is Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Streaming nationwide on the 710 Sports app and 710sports.com. Now here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. Let's get you caught up with all the news. Uh, It is cut down day today in the NFL. And the big headline right now is that Cam Newton has been released by the New England Patriots. I think this comes as a fairly big surprise. Most people expected Cam to be the week one starter. There had been some discussion about maybe Mac Jones, the rookie out of Alabama, was going to earn that job. But I don't think anybody expected New England to end up keeping Brian Hoyer ahead of Cam Newton, which is how this has gone down. I guess the question is, can you look at Cam Newton and see a guy who will handle being the backup and let's be frank with him. This is not an indictment on his character, but he does not seem to take losing well. That's true. He, he, he doesn't. And he can sulk. Like that's, and, and I would say especially earlier in his career, I was like, he's, you lose in this league and you have to handle it like an adult. Right. So that's probably what they're thinking. But there's also a factor that we discussed earlier if you're not available as a quarterback in this league, how can you be trusted, especially as a backup? And whatever the heck went on last week with the misunderstanding that the Patriots did a very good job of defending Cam for, making it seem like it was their fault, that's something that could happen again. And what happens if all of a sudden you find yourself in a spot where Mac Jones is hurt in the middle of a game and you don't even have a third quarterback to go to? Can I put on my... Bill Belichick is the evil genius hat for a second. Go ahead. You can't cut a player for not getting vaccinated. Like that's the, Those guidelines have been fairly well established. Now, people have said and people have talked about, hey, you can't, you can't really tell if a team takes that into account. If Bill Belichick was furious that Cam Newton had left the team facility, had gone out of town without telling the team, still gotten tested thinking like, okay, I'll cover it. Like, I'll make sure I come back and show them that I had all of my tests. So everything is, is, is okay. And then when he comes back, it turns out that those tests were done at a place that doesn't, doesn't count. Like it it violated, it didn't pass the NFL rules. So the NFL is like, well, no, you got to take five days to reacclimate. Then you got to go through a five day quarantine. And Bill Belichick is like, I've had it. This is ridiculous. I'm not going to have an unvaccinated backup quarterback who doesn't leaves town and doesn't get tested the right way. You couldn't, you can't necessarily just cut him for that. If you wanted to cut him a week later, wouldn't you stand by him at first? Like we totally understand it, and then say afterwards, it's just a football decision. Whereas no, it's just just football decision. These are tough decisions. Brian Hoyer's our backup quarterback. (laughs) Like if I'm putting on my Bill Belichick evil genius. Like that's, I I think that that makes more sense. That certainly makes more sense than Cam Newton is a better candidate than Brian Hoyer because at the very least Cam Newton's played pretty well this preseason. He has, and and there's a part of me also that believes that they used Cam Newton. They wanted to give Mac Jones the most authentic competition that they could. If you go back to 2001, there were some flukish circumstances that led to this decision happening, but it was noteworthy that year that Tom Brady had jumped on the be- on the depth chart from four to second. And then all of a sudden, Bledsoe gets hurt. They decide to make the move with Tom Brady. Having competition at that position for a first-round pick 
could potentially bring out the most in that player. And I do think it is interesting that even Cam Newton was acknowledging the respect that he had for Mac and his swag and what he had brought to the locker room. So, look, I, I, I'm skeptical because of how doughy he looked after winning the national championship, but Brady looked fairly doughy too. Whatever the case, I, I, I think that it's not just that they weren't sure about Cam as a backup. I think they were bringing Cam in this past offseason, especially once they had drafted Mac Jones, to be someone that would push and get the most out of Mac Jones. It's a pretty wild pairing of quarterbacks you have in New England right now. Second year post Tom Brady, after Tom wins the Super Bowl in Tampa Bay, you're now going with a guy that was not considered a first-round pick when last college football season started, who was drafted 15th overall, and Brian Hoyer, who is, I, I mean, give him give him points for longevity because he's bounced around to every single place. But I think we've no. we've all had the full Brian Hoyer yes. experience. I had a full season of it. Sorry, I don't want to do that again. Let's get you caught up with some of the Seahawks news. Uh, the Seahawks have waived offensive lineman Tommy Champion, Jared Hawker, and Jared Hewitt. They have also let go of wide receiver Travis Toivonen, and they've also let go, this was yesterday, uh, Darius Robinson. So they're moving toward the 53-man roster as well. Yesterday's big news, and the first of what could be a couple deals for Seattle, we'll see how active they are today, is they traded for Sidney Jones to be their uh, a cornerback. They gave a, a sixth-round pick next year. Sidney Jones was here at the UW. He was a second-round pick um, after he was projected as a first-rounder but tore his Achilles tendon in the lead-up to the draft. Brock told us he thinks this means Trey Flowers is out. Do you agree? I mean, we're talking about a taller corner. Yeah. We're talking about a guy that, at least with the way that Brock described him, is good at making plays. He makes plays, plays on the ball. ball. I mean, look, that that's that's that was always one of Sydney's Sydney's strengths. Now, Sydney can play some some nickel as well, but his career has never gotten he hasn't looked the same since the Achilles tendon tear. I don't think that always having your back to the ball is some is is the massive problem for a cornerback that some portray to be, but you have to actually be able to make plays with your back to the ball, and Flowers has not been able to do that, and that's a problem, especially for a team that has instructed its defensive backs to stay on top. If a wide receiver slips past you and is able to make a catch and you're running behind him and, and you put your hand up, but it doesn't even matter, what's the point? And, and sorry, I mean, this isn't college football. This, this isn't high school. That's, that's the small degree of separation necessary for a wide receiver to make a play. It's possible that he'll get let go. I actually think that this is more. I, I think the question is if if John Reed ends up making the team, that could be over Trey Flowers. I I could see a scenario because they it was a conditional pick for Reed, so they they could keep Flowers and Jones. I don't think it's an either or with them, but but maybe it will be. And here, look, there's two rules for playing corner in Seattle's system. There's two rules. First, you have to be able to get up on guys and make contact at the line of scrimmage. You, you, you have to be able to make contact and turn and run with them. And the other one is you can't get beat over the top outside the numbers. Those are the, those are the two like fundamental criteria of this. You have to be able to get up on them, and you can't get beat up over the top. And, and if that consistently happens, they're going to look for changes. And Trey Flowers has consistently been beat over the top, in part because he grabs, because he, he fouls, because he commits penalties when he gets in that situation. Uh, the, the next sort of question I think that people will have is what happens with Rashad Penny today. I actually don't have that much uncertainty about it, Paul. I, I, I expect Rashad Penny to be part of this roster tomorrow. Yeah, I don't know why they would move on from him. And yeah, he's a first-round pick. It has not worked out as you would have liked. He's not Nick Chubb. But you're going to move on from the guy when 
he has talent, and you do need depth at that position just based off of Chris Carson's entire history. Why would you move on from him? At, at this point, the people that I think are calling for his head are essentially just doing so for the sake of calling it, not really thinking about the big picture, about the amount of depth that is necessary now a 17-game season at that position. A team would swoop and pick him up in five seconds if he were to be released as well. No matter how you feel about the guy, that is somebody that has some sort of potential. Keep him around and see if he can finally shake off all of those cobwebs, which are slowly being shaken off, which is definitely working against him. We'll get back to the cuts and some of the decisions happening around the NFL next. The Mariners suffered a really difficult, frustrating setback last night. Yep, they did. They ended up crawling their way back to a lead. Dylan Moore gives them a go-ahead two-run homer off of off of Rayleigh, the same reliever that he hit the grand slam off of just before the trade deadline, kind of the last peak of this Mariners season. And he hits the two-run homer that gave him the lead. The Mariners gave that lead back in the eighth inning. Joe Smith was on the mound. It was... There's an unfortunate couple of there was a throwing error um, in in a throw in from the outfield that allowed a runner to take second base. That runner then stumbled between second and third. Was rounding third on a uh, single, a ground ball single to the outfield that D- Dylan Moore fielded and did not throw home. It kind of underscored this was a game in which Seattle played. Seattle was right there. This was a neck and neck like blow for blow game. And Seattle just didn't do the little things against a team that has routinely clubbed them over the head. And in that yeah. way, it was more frustrating because it wasn't like Houston outclobbered them last night. Seattle just shot itself in the foot and made some little mistakes. That's what bothers me the most is that the mistakes that they made came in a spot where we have not seen them make mistakes over the last two years. It came defensively. It was early on, Jared Kellnick, that's a tough catch. You're still going to make it. It's, yeah, do you give him an error on that? Because it's hard, because it's, it's over his head, which is which is a tough play for a center fielder. And you can see he turned, like his mechanics, Yeah, where he turned and then had to pivot back. He turned where he was looking over his right shoulder and then and then had to, 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 to him turn glove, himself. It was, it was awkward. It did hit him in the glove. It hit, it hit him in the glove, and it hit him a little low on the Palmos glove, but it did hit him in the glove. Right, so there was that. Then the very next play that... Kalnick has a makes up for it with a strike to home plate, and Tom Murphy, you got to put that tag down. I, I, I don't know if that's like a, a horrible defensive play, but he's not really in a position that that seems like it was going to. You know, if you're if you're closer to second base, or not, you're not closer to second base, but if you're standing in front of home plate, all right, you got a you got a very long distance to spin around. Say Carlos Correa decides to slide in behind you, and and he slid in effectively. But Murphy, we've seen him possibly miss a tag not too long ago against the Toronto Blue Jays, and that that was just something I thought about in context with the Toronto Blue Jays uh, tag that I'm not sure was actually a tag out that was, after review, called one. He got away with that one, maybe? Yeah. And then in this one, it was clear, and it was a matter of, I mean, inches? Like, was it even six inches that separated him? Carlos Correa made a really good slide, but I do find myself also wondering about Wondering about the the mechanics of where Murphy was set up. It's it's different now because the rules are different about blocking the plate and giving the runner a path to to the plate. Where he was, you are taught to get out a little bit in front of the plate to make sure that you, you're not waiting for the ball to reach for it. I I thought Murphy executed that pretty well, and it was just a really good slide by Correa. But you're right, that was one of the little things. And then what happened in the eighth, though? There's not really any excuse for first the the weird throwing error in which the ball goes dribbling around the infield 
uh, past J.P. Crawford while yep. he's running it down, and then and then the the failure to throw home. And I'm not sure the mechanics of it. Afterward, we got the cut from Dylan Moore, but it's a ground ball single, like a relatively slow single into left center field. Moore's having to come over and field it. The runner stumbled between second and third, and he's at third when Moore gets to the ball and keeps running, and the throw doesn't go home. Like I was, I was, I was shocked. I'm, I'm still, I'm not sure if Moore didn't see him stumble and assumed that he had was going to score easily, which he would have if he hadn't stumbled, or if Moore saw him stumble and then decided he probably wasn't going to make that turn. Yeah, someone in the infield's got to yell at him. Yeah. Someone's got to say, hey, throw it home. Because I could see how Dylan Moore, maybe as he sees the ground ball come to him, is thinking to himself, as he looks at the ball and not at the runner who is going to his right as he's running to his left, he's probably thinking, oh, that guy's going to easily score. But someone's got to say, look, he, not in, obviously in as many words, but say, home, throw home, throw home. Because he didn't even make a play on it. And he hesitated for a second. It looked like he thought about it, and then he just didn't. And maybe someone told him not to. We heard him after the game talk about it, and he did seem to take accountability for it. But at the same time, what's going on here, and where's your help? You know, it's a team game. Well, let's here is Dylan Moore after the game, kind of explaining what went on there. Yeah, I can't really pinpoint uh, a reason other than that. I just, I just the the ball took a while to get to the outfield. Yeah, he did stumble, and then I just made the wrong read and, and didn't throw it when I should have. That's brutal. And you're right. Like that that's multiple people failing, right? That's that's you should have a fail safe there. That should have been communicated to Dylan Moore that that the runner was coming around third, that he was that he was going to try to score even despite the stumble. And and Dylan honestly should have should have understood and seen where it was. There's part of me that thinks that part of the reason he was sent was that the third base coach saw the Mariners assuming that he wasn't going to try and score on the play and realize like, okay, if we just wave him, we might be able to sneak this one across. And that was exactly what happened. It's frustrating to lose in any situation and not take advantage of an opportunity to make up ground on both the the Red Sox and the Yankees. It's especially painful when it feels self-inflicted. Yep. When it feels that, 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 that you didn't do the little things to win that game. And now you find yourself of the five teams fighting for two spots. You are in fifth and Toronto who just played the Orioles last night has, if I'm not mistaken, nine more games against Toronto uh, against check that. Yeah, they have nine more games against Baltimore the rest of the way. So mm. the god awful Orioles. Yeah, it is Danny and Gallant. Our training camp coverage brought to you by Precore Home Fitness. Here is around the NFL. It's time to go around the NFL. The bottom line on the biggest stories in the NFL every morning at nine fifteen with Danny and Gallant. Today's an exceptional day. What's up, Mora? Cut down day. Hi, guys. Yeah, we actually uh, just had one pop up here within the last couple minutes. Brady Henderson reporting the Seahawks are waving cornerback John Reed. You may remember that they only acquired him from Houston a week ago for a conditional seventh round pick in 2023. Uh, Henderson says that Reed had to be on Seattle's 53-man roster for six games for that condition to be met. So they won't lose a pick here. Four one out. End of an this, era. This should answer the question, though, about whether... Sidney Jones was brought here to replace Trey Flowers. Yep. The answer is no. They saw Sidney Jones as a better player in the in their depth in the secondary than Trey Flowers. Yeah, you would think so. I, I mean, unless they decide that they want to keep Demarius Randall, which, uh, you know, I, I don't know about that one. 
So right now, your cornerback group is DJ Reed, Trey Brown, Akella Witherspoon, Trey Flowers, and um, now uh, shoot, Sidney Jones. So that's five, right? That's that's probably the five. Although, uh, although I guess Hugo Amadi classifies as a cornerback. Yeah, you count him there. He also counts with the safeties, and you got Marquise Blair. I I think you might end up with nine DBs. You might end up with nine DBs between safety and and corner. And you've got a little overlap there because of Amadi and and Marquise Blair. Blair's a safety, but he's going to play some nickel corner. Uh, Amadi's a a nickel corner who's been working at safety. I, I, I bet, yeah, I bet what happens is you have three definitive safeties. Ryan Neal would be your third one, and then you yeah. end up maybe with ten defensive backs with Blair and Amadi being the back-and-forth guys or something like that. I think Trey Flowers is making this roster today. We'll see. They are also releasing uh, the local kid, wide receiver Connor Weddington from Lake Tech. That's a bummer. No. I love Connor. Yeah, uh, that was a bummer, but he didn't get a whole lot of opportunities no, in not. preseason. So you could kind of see that coming. I think it's going to be tough to make this team as a wide receiver this year. They're they're keeping at most five wideouts, and it, I'm not I'm not convinced it's going to end up being five. That's that's interesting. I, I think that Penny Hart is probably the front runner for that fifth spot. John Ursua got hurt. I don't know if Aaron Fuller is actually challenging him for that fifth spot, but we know the top four. It's Lockett, it's Metcalf, it's Eskridge, and it's Freddie Swain. That might be it. That might be it. And if there is a fifth receiver, it might come from outside this roster right now. Interesting. All right, you guys uh, already touched on the big news of the day of Cam Newton being released from the Patriots, but um, we'll listen to a little bit of ESPN Patriots reporter Mike Reese explaining what he thinks the thought process was there. Cam is, uh, you know, he was a captain last year, and he obviously has the, the alpha presence. And so when you watch a Patriots practice or even a game, you know, Cam's the one that's calling the players on offense up. You know, like, hey, let's come together. Let's get fired up for the game. He's on the sideline. He's the one, you know, pacing up and down, trying to get everyone up. If you keep him on the team in a backup role, like, how does that mix work? And to me, that's how I view that situation. It's you almost want to clear the path for Mac so he can grow and players can respond to him, right? It, it, it might be hard to do that with Cam looking over your shoulders. That's a fair point. It does seem like New England gave Cam Newton every opportunity to win that job, right? I mean, yeah. Mac's played well the whole preseason. Man. I just, I'm shocked that you're there going into a season with Mac Jones and Brian Hoyer as your quarterbacks. Yeah, not ideal. I mean, that's, I get, I get having Mac Jones and Cam Newton, but that is, if you're deciding, okay, okay, that, that ship has sailed with Cam Newton and, and he's done. You you don't have many. Good, what if he's not ready? You think like that idea that he's a 50, the number fifteen overall pick, and you're like, we've seen enough, and we know he's set to go. He's had one year as a starting quarterback. Great offensive line. Pretty good running Brian back. Brian Hoyer cost them two field goals alone in that Chiefs game oh, last year because uh, he couldn't figure out when not to take a sack. <laughs> I love it, man. I hope they're terrible. <laughs> I have no comment. No Silence. Comment. No comment. No comment. Talking is uh, done on the what if, what, if the, what, if ta- what if Tom wins another one? And, and the, the, the Patriots are still fuddling around, and they're 6-10, and 10 and Mac Jones gets hurt. He pulls an oblique, like, after three weeks, and you got Brian Hoyer in there for a month. I'd still be happy God, for Tom. that'd be great. I'd still be happy for Tom, but 
I wouldn't be as happy for I'd Tom. I'd be really happy for Tom, too. <laughs> See, now you're happy for Tom. <laughs> now you are, huh? Interesting. I just want to see misery spread. Yeah, I can tell. <laughs> Even at the expense of perhaps, you, I don't know, your friends. But you know, Yeah, no you know what? You guys deserve some misery. <laughs> it's been too nice there being a Boston fan. <laughs> You've had 20 years of being cake eaters. Yeah! It's Mike Wright. Right. It's Mike Wright. Next up. My God-given right! <laughs> oh, boy. Let's, no. That's where people start to think Patriots fans are obnoxious. That's right. Ball. That's why I'm happy. Right there. That. <laughs> that. What just came out. That's why I'm happy. I just wanted it to come out for a second. All right. Patriots cornerback Stephon Gilmore, Packers left tackle David Bakhtiari, and Saints wide receiver Michael Thomas have all been placed on the pup list to start the season, meaning they will miss at least the first six weeks. That is interesting with Gilmore because you wonder if he's actually hurt. Feels good to be right, Paul. Feels pretty good to be right. Oh, come on. Feels really good to be right. Do you think think that if he had been traded elsewhere that he would also be on a PUP list? I don't. I I don't know. I'm just telling you that I was I, I would prefer Seattle's approach of let's go get a couple of uh, low budget let's it's buy at discount so well. yeah. and in and in bulk at cornerback instead of going and trading a bunch for the guy New England doesn't want to pay and finding out that the guy New England doesn't want to play now isn't going to play the first six weeks yeah it feels pretty good to be right the Costco route yeah it's it's great you know like but where are the results where it's the defense been over the last three years. I don't know, man. You look over the past eleven. These I know, guys seem but to, these guys these guys seem to know what they're doing. Look, over the past eleven, there's no denying it. But at a certain point, how long are we going to keep saying that? Well, at a certain point, don't you sit there and say the overall process still benefited and worked out more than than just overreacting and saying, "Well, this doesn't work anymore. We lost our knack for evaluating corners in the past." Yes, now. I don't think we can certainly say that it still works. Well, there's no certainty. I mean, of course it's always a gamble. I go with I want them to take the same approach they took from 2010 through 2020. I want them to take that in 2021 rather than saying we got to figure out something different because what we're well, doing is not working. I mean, if they were going that way, then they would be going out they wouldn't be going after DJ Reed or Trey Brown or any of these sure undersized guys, right? Would they still well, do you think they would be going I mean, if they're going with the same exact process, I mean, because of the long they're, they're, oh they're, yeah, they're it's, they're, long yeah. Time. I think their physical specs have changed, but that's different than than the overall. We're going ide- to we think corners are a position we can find. We th- we don't think we have to use first and second round picks on cornerbacks. We can find corners. In fact, we can find corners that other teams decide to pass on and and that don't work because of the system we play. That, and, and that is true, but it does seem like right now they're zagging after everybody's sort of caught up to them on that, and maybe the zag isn't going to work. I like DJ Reed. Is the new trend to be able to pay 30-year-old cornerbacks after you trade a second-round pick for them and then have them show up on the physically unable to perform list? <laughs> is, might, that, is that, is that going to catch everybody off guard? I, can, I, can I at the very least put some shenanigans on this? Wave a little shenanigans flag. I don't think that he's, I don't think he's hurt. I don't think he's hurt. I think this is, uh, this is some um, uh, below the, below the, off the books. I don't know what the hell I'm saying. I don't think that this is, I don't think this is, True. This is lies. 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 Danny, you you got Paul all flustered with that. Yeah, it's great. That's exactly right. He got wrong footed here. We don't speak English. I'm telling you, it feels good to be right. Feels really good to be right. It is Danny Gallant. Our training camp coverage continues. Brought to you by Precore Home Fitness. We will take you through the latest cuts. That's coming up next. You are listening to Danny and Gallant. 
Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios on 710 ESPN Seattle. Now, here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. We got an update from the golf world. PGA Tour Commissioner Jay Monahan says that saying Brooksy or yelling Brooksy to Bryson DeChambeau will now be considered disrespectful and can result in expulsion from a tournament. <laughs> this is anti-American. This is it's against becoming, freedom of speech. It's, it's, it's become an issue of being disrespectful to the players and the game. What a loser. He's such a loser. <laughs> I mean, just because he can't handle himself because somebody's calling him by a name that clearly bothers him. Do you know what you do when somebody starts calling you something you don't like? You roll into it and go with it. This is basic. Basic handling a bully one-on-one. And here's old Bryson who has anger issues, which are interesting to note given how far he can drive things that he needs to work on, clearly. It is a little weird, though, to watch a crowd be able to get to somebody and then to keep doing it. Like, I'll, I'll say this. I, I don't know enough about Bryson DeChambeau to, to answer the question, does he deserve it or not? Like, is it warranted? It seems like he's kind of had a very, very brash, aggressive persona. And that he's kind of courted the attention and he now can't handle the other side of it. It, it is Kevin Van Valkenburg who covers golf for ESPN. He had a column uh, over the weekend, Bryson DeChambeau, he lost a playoff. It was a really, really good match. He loses a playoff, and afterward, somebody said to him, like, good job, Brooksy, and he, and he was mad and yelled at the guy and cursed, and then and then it, it, there wasn't any sort of physical confrontation, but clearly kind of lost it, like snapped for a second. And Van Volkenberg's point was, like, this is, it's uncomfortable to watch now. Like, it's clearly affecting him, and and you're watching someone not be able to handle the teasing from a crowd. It's it's a very but at the same time I'm like you're a professional athlete and you you've kind of gone out of your way to court he this attention brought it on himself and he has not gone out of his way to change he has acted exactly the same as he has before why and don't guys like him I would say just take a look at some of the social media stuff that he has posted he takes forever to golf yeah, that's true. Guys don't like how long it takes. When people call him out for it, he gets spatty, if you will. And I, I bet there are a lot of other guys on the tour who are like, oh, wow, he drives the ball far now. What yeah. has that done for him? Yeah, it's funny. Anyway, that was that was something that I had been following. Uh, so you can't yell Brooksy at, at him anymore, otherwise you're going to get booted. Legitimately, this is... This is an attack on American free speech. This is this is ridiculous. I, I I can't believe that this is the case. We have this in football too with the horns down stuff for that soft fan base too. And I have friends who are UT fans, and I tell them that this is the most like bleep you know what stuff that you're gonna see from fans. You guys are absolute babies. If 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 this is the kind of stuff that gets under your skin, this is what sports talk is all about amongst friends, right? Yes. Busting busting chops for another team. So now all of a sudden we can't do this at a at, at a game? This is at a golfer. Right. You can't there are different rules for golf to begin with, but it does it is it's really comical to me. Like what did we learn in football? Which is when the opposing crowd is too loud and the quarterback can't hear the signals, what's the worst thing he can do? Please be quiet. I'm exactly. Tell the ref that he can't hear. 
Like, what's the worst? Because it makes them yell harder. So there's part of me, like, the worst thing that Bryson DeChambeau can do is let people know that this gets to him because it's just going to increase it unless they just kick everybody out. Uh, it is Danny Gallant. The Seahawks have to make their, their roster cuts down to 53 today. We've seen the, the first of the significant moves. Um, John Reed who they acquired for a conditional seventh-round pick from Houston, is going to be released. Now, I think that shows that the addition of Sidney Jones, who Seattle acquired yesterday, was more about, hey, we think he's a better option in our secondary than than John Reed, as opposed to replacing Trey Flowers. But we'll see exactly how that goes. Seattle goes with another another addition to, to their backfield and are hoping, uh, according to the report I saw from Brady Henderson, are hoping to get Reed on their practice squad. We'll see how that goes. I mean, if you say that you're hoping to get somebody on your practice squad, then maybe someone's going to swoop in and take them away from your practice squad. Although they did trade, a, 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 it was a conditional seventh round pick, which is about as little as you can give up for a player. So I'm not sure if there was much demand for John Reed. They very well may Fair end enough. up with him on their, on their practice squad. Is there anything else that we're watching to see? Is Seattle going to add a defensive tackle? I honestly think that might be a week or two down the line. Geno Atkins and KJ Wright. Those are the two guys that I think you'd look at right now and say, hey, is this somebody that's going to help me week one if I have him on the roster? And I would say in both cases it would help you, but I I can sort of see why they wouldn't with KJ Wright. With Geno Atkins, you're not looking for the Geno Atkins of old. If Carlos Dunlap... The Bengals decided to move on from him, and he gave you what he gave you last year. Why can't Geno Atkins give you something like that on 25%, 30% of the snaps defensively out there? You know? I mean, it, if we're talking about waves of defenders and depth on the defensive line, it's a, it's only a, I think, plus if you bring him in, unless they, when they talked to him, felt like there was something else going on behind the scenes where maybe he's not 100% anymore. Or he wants more than a minimum salary, right? Like if he's looking, if he's saying it's not worth it for me to play unless it's two or three million dollars, then you might look at it and say, okay, we'll talk to you after the season starts and we'll see where we're at. Because if you have him, if you sign him for two or three million dollars right now, all that money's guaranteed the minute he plays his first snap. It might be a little bit more short term than that. I don't think KJ Wright. I don't. I don't think they're planning to bring him back. You think here. somebody else is going to sign him? I mean, I, I know Dallas had talked to him. I think Vegas had talked to him. Was there just a, a wait-and-see kind of approach and and hope in KJ's camp that maybe an injury would lead to a better payday than whatever offer has been put on the table? Because I, I, I have a hard time believing that there's only one offer on the table for him or that there are no offers on the table for him. There's probably some low-ball offers, and, and, and from where, I'm wondering. That's... I think there have to be opportunities that are out there, and there's a number that KJ is not going to go below. I, I I have to. It doesn't. He's the only one of the guys named to the top 100 NFL list, and regardless of how accurate you think that list is or isn't, he's the only one of those dudes that's not on a team right now. He's the only one of those dudes that's, that that is that it is not on a team right now. And to me, the only thing that makes sense, given the season he had last year, is he's I'm not going to play for below X. Because there has to be a team that would be willing to pay him a million, two million dollars to come in and play. You would think. It has to be that he said it. it that, that whole thing still doesn't make a, a whole lot of sense to me, but it would make absolutely no sense if he simply can't find a job. Right. And I hope he gets one. But... I do too. I love KJ. And I, I, but I also don't think that that's going to, I don't think that's what Seattle's looking to do here. I don't expect to see him added after these roster cutdowns. We will keep our eyes out. It is Danny and Gallant. We're going to have our flags. That's coming up next. 
from the pocket. And flags everywhere. Flag on the play. Now there's a flag down. Every morning at 945 with Danny and Gallant. Brought to you by Carter Volkswagen. If the noise persists, the defense will be charged with a timeout. Flag on the play. Cam Newton out in New England. Somebody go check on Aaron Rodgers because the guy who tried to make himself the host of Jeopardy, he's now out of a job entirely. Mike Richards. Oh, they fired him. Yeah, was going to be the host. Then he wasn't going to be the host, but he was going to still be the executive producer, and they're going to send him classes and give him a minder. (laughs) That was my favorite. (laughs) He was going to get a minder. Now he's canned entirely. So maybe Aaron Rodgers has an alternative career path for him now. He can go run the whole whole Jeopardy show instead of just just taking orders in Green Bay. What's funny? I mean, maybe they should just cancel Jeopardy. I mean, uh, I think it's Mayim Bialik. Yes. Who also could potentially be a, a host of, of Jeopardy because I guess she had like some anti-vaccine takes like 12 years ago or something like that. She might not be getting the gig either. And she was supposedly a finalist. I don't think it's the anti-vaccine things. I I think it was something regarding what she said about, yeah. Okay. I'm not sure exactly what it was. But yes, there was some controversy over something she had written in the past, which seemed strange. I'm not going to lie. I kind of enjoy that every single Jeopardy candidate is having skeletons (laughs) brought out of their closet like they're a politician. You know, like this is some like really important role for all of America. Let's be honest. You're just a... You're, you're just a face that's that's asking questions. Let's be clear. The threshold for Jeopardy host might be higher than that of uh, elected office in this country. <laughs> like is... We might we, we might have a higher standard for, for that than it comes to other, other elected positions. Shouldn't they call it a different name, the show? Because, I mean, without Alec Trebek, it's like, it's, sorry. No, I want to watch screwed. people wilt under the mantle of, of ridiculous expectations. It's part of the fun in America. Uh, they find dirt that, on LeVar Burton my whole childhood is going to be. I know. That, that would be tough to take. That would be very, very tough to take. Either that or just have just have Will Ferrell come in and do the Alex Trebek persona that he created. Yes. You know what? That's that's not a bad idea. I like that. Pay homage. Yeah. I bet Trebek uh, would like it too. It's Rest time for these. us to raise flags, throw flags, pick up flags. Amora, would you like to start today? Sure, I would like to raise one to Angie Mentic for um, ah, good one. Yeah, she uh, got to call her first MLB game as the color analyst last night. Did a great job, and um, as you can see from the reaction on Twitter, like when I when I first moved here, I just thought it was so cool how universally beloved she is. Like I have never heard anyone say anything bad about Angie, and um, I think everyone's kind of been waiting to hear her in this role, and I, it's it's awesome. I met her in person for the first time at Mariners batting practice a little ago. Could not have been friendlier. It comes up to me like, I haven't met her before. It comes over, gives me a big hug. I was like, whoa, okay. that's She's awesome. Really cool. I, I was great to hear her on the broadcast last night, too. And she has different observations, too, and I, I, I enjoyed it. Especially her trying to, I think, get Goldie to uh, talk a little trash about some of the Astros who were coming up to the plate. Oh, I got to produce a show once when it was her and Danny, and that was one of the most fun shows I've ever produced. She's great. Um, Angie, what she's accomplished in her career, first as a softball player, then playing with the Silver Bullets, um, playing hardball, what she's done for 20 years now in Seattle sports media is awesome. It was really cool, and I I enjoyed listening to her last night. Um, I'd listen to her read a phone book, 
I, I love her stories. <laughs> she she understands she understands the sport in in a way that in that same sort of way Mike Flowers has a feel for the pulse of the game. Like she she understands it in in that way, and it's really cool. Um, I, I enjoyed hearing that. That's a good flag. Paul, what do you got? Well, first off, I'm going to throw a flag on myself because while Angie is fantastic at broadcasting uh, this morning, I had some I had some issues at the end of a segment. I don't think he's hurt. I don't think he's hurt. I think this is uh, this is some um, uh, below the below the below the off the books. I don't know what the hell I'm saying. I don't think that this is. I don't think this is true. <laughs> I don't really know where I was going there. So one flag at myself. Uh, but I'm also going to throw a flag at Juju Smith-Schuster, who's also, in addition to doing that lame TikTok dance before every single game that's not original to the same song with no variance to the dance at all, he is also now doing the milk crate challenge. You're not good enough to do these things. You're a number two wide receiver. Chase Claypool's better than you. Can we Wait, please so, stop? So you're you're mad about... You're mad about the appearance rather than the risk of people. Yes. Somebody died doing the milk crate challenge yes. in, in Dallas. But your concern is that it's he's not good enough to do this. Yes. I mean, it's clownish. That is that is the so obvious take. it would be okay take. if it was DK. No. The obvious take is obvious. <laughs> Look, I, I don't need to step into it and say that the milk crate challenge, any wide receiver doing it a week before the start of the year, do I even need to say anything? Like, that, that, is, that is so stupid. But... To take it further, I mean, why does he feel the need to constantly go off the field and do these things to build his brand or whatever? It's annoying. Odell Beckham Jr., some of the same stuff, but at least Odell Beckham Jr., you know how talented he is. Juju Smith-Schuster is like a secondary wide receiver, and yet he is, for some reason, all over the place. I could do with less Juju Smith-Schuster, and he does not want to... Make, he he wants to make sure that there never will be less Juju Smith-Schuster. The milk crate challenge makes me think of the dumbest thing I've ever done for attention. Everybody kind of think in your head, what's the dumbest thing you've ever done for attention? Because that's what the milk crate challenge is to me. For me, the answer is quite simple. It is uh, up in Nicene Marks. I was 16 years old, either sophomore or junior at Aptos High School. And we were out, and it, it was an evening, and there was a, 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 a dare that was made about jumping down a really steep embankment and being able to try and try and run out, like stupid daredevil stuff. And I was like, okay, I'll do it, and jumped out kind of into these bushes. It was insanely steep, and I, I, I ran it out. Like, I actually made the initial part, and people are cheering, and I raised my hands to celebrate this stupid dare I tripped over a root I could not have fallen fallen harder oh no like it's not possible like hit the ground rolled like a big giant mess like hard enough and my friends still talk about it to this day and and I sit there and look at it like that's that was a really stupid thing to do for attention and that's what I think of when I see the milk crate challenge what a really dumb thing to do for attention yeah I had dirt inside my ear like a week later, Ow. like where it came out, and I was like, oh, it couldn't, and I deserved every bit of it. Kind of like I deserved to get robbed for buying a Jake Paul fight. I deserved to fall that hard. <laughs> Noggin first? Did you did you catch yourself? Catch yourself? I, it was your on hands? my chest because my sternum was sore. Oh, like, my, yeah, like I, I I fell hard and it was in trees. Like it was it was a bad fall, and I deserved to fall that hard. Hundred percent. At least you didn't break anything, other than your ego. Yeah. My ego took a hit. I don't know if Breezy Hove ever looked at me the same again. (laughs) 
I once that was my win- that was my winter formal date's name, Paul oh. Breezy Hove. That's a good name, Breezy. Yeah, was Breezy that Hove. Ac- was that her actual first name? I know her actual name. I think was Brianna. Okay, Breezy though. That's a that's a good nickname. I like it. Uh, I am going to raise a flag for Arsenal fans who should give us all a lesson on how to taunt an opposing team. Uh, Arsenal is a long-suffering fan base. They're probably... I, Arsenal's up there with being as close to, to Mariners in terms of unfulfilled ambitions. Like, cheering for... Being an Arsenal supporter is the is the English equivalent of cheering for the Mariners. Uh, they got smoked 5-0 by Manchester City over the weekend. And their fans' reaction to that was absolutely great. We lose every week. You're nothing special. We lose every week. <laughs> what a depressing chant. But That's fantastic. correct. That's absolutely right. So say that to the Houston Astros last night. You're nothing special. You're nothing special. You think that this is some sort of, you're nothing but special. This happens all the time. But it doesn't happen all the time this year. <laughs> Not this year. Another Just year, maybe. Just delayed pain, Paul. Just delayed pain. <sighs> If you're to the Detroit Lions, you can do that. Uh, we want to thank Brock Heward for joining us for Blue 42. The professor, John Clayton, who was burning the midnight oil, getting ready for that appearance with us this morning. Maura Dooley keeps it all in the straight and narrow with us, and he is Paul Gallant. And I don't know what the dumbest thing he that he's ever done for attention is. Maybe he'll share that with us in the future. I definitely will on another day. And he is Danny O'Neill, and I'm glad that your sternum is okay now. Could not have fallen harder. Ow. Hardest pot. It was the hardest possible I could have fallen in that situation and deserved it. Those injuries stay a while too. Sternum, ribs. Up next, the Seahawks defense is going to be better, the same, or worse in 2021 compared to 2020. We'll talk about that on the most interactive sports talk show in Seattle. Next, so long, farewell. You'll hear us tomorrow.